We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me on Twitter. That's at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R for all of our people watching right now, which is at the bottom of the screen. Go ahead, check that out. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206 and that's C-Kidd-206. And as you can see, we got Mike's stand in there. I threw mine away a long time ago so I'll, I'll get a new one for myself but we are making our way we're making progress with that for what it's worth for everyone <laughs> who mentioned it i like holding my mic it makes me feel like a rapper right like my name is mike holding the mic like there's something to that it's that i like to show off the clothes i'm wearing you know so shout out to the homie cj at link nation for for the hoodie but anyway it's not about us it's about having our special guest uh, on the show uh, rec- uh basically a recurring guest now it's like an annual episode with him on in the off season uh we have nfl editor of the usa today sports media group doug farrar doug what up, man? Nice to see you. Love the hat. And by the way, Mike, how awesome is it that the Thunder are like historically sucky now? Oh man, like I try not to. So I'm like I'm a I'm a kook. Chris is a kook. I personally don't like revel in the misery of others. Like when the Huskies lose, I don't care, right? Like for the most part, like I like when the Cougs win. Positive energy. However, if the Thunder stink, hundred percent here for that. Like, be bad, have all the good players just want to leave, like, people trash in the city. Like, yeah, yeah, that's I love it. I do, I do love that. So, yeah, let's bring our Sonics back, please. Uh, we're gonna we ready to talk some, uh, some NFL, Doug. I love your insights, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, let's let's uh, let's jump into the draft class. Yeah, now I'm, I want to put you on the spot a little bit because oh. I, I rounded up all the draft grades um, that people give the Seahawks this year uh, and shout football outsiders. They do a good job wrangling them all, too. And you're kind of and there's a theme here. There's all the people who are kind of local. Um, it's like you, Shil Kapadia and Danny Kelly. Um, you guys all like I consider you guys local guys who got too big for us. Local uh, went and got national and got too big for us. Local folks. You guys all were in the same range, like kind of C plus. Wait, 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 wait. You're with the athletic. 
Yeah, but see, I'm still the local beat guy. You know, that's you know when I get introduced anywhere, it's like Seahawks beat writer. See, I had to introduce you as NFL editor. See, so, <laughs> when they do their roundups, when Shield and those other guys do their NFL roundups, they just don't call on you, so you're not national. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't get the my the IRS doesn't consider me national yet either. At least not on the pay stub. So you're national, Shields national, Danny's definitely national and all you guys are kind of in that c plus range i think all you guys get the same grade uh for similar reasons but i, I uh you and in yours you kind of broke down there's like a glass half full approach to seattle's class there's like the hey they got a nice slot guy who's gonna help uh they got a corner who's feisty and they got a left tackle potentially who could be really nice and then there's the glass half full that like a lot of or glass have empty excuse me that a lot of people think that this left tackle stinks the corner's 5'9", and Dwayne Eskridge might have been a reach. Um, and you guys, are, you're kind of landed in the middle, so is Danny, so is Sheila. And until we get them on, you have to speak for all of them. Come on, pick one. There's uh, no spitting in the, no right in the fence here. Is this a great class or is this a terrible class? I, I must admit that we we split uh, – Mark Schofield and I, who also writes for Touchdown Learning, does a great job. We split the draft grades because there's just so much to do. Mark wrote the Seattle grade, gave him a C plus. Mm-hmm. I give him a solid B to B minus. Okay, here we go. I think you have to look at first of all what they what they went out and got with a lot of the, you know Gabe Jackson, Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams. Whether you think Jamal Adams is worth two first round picks and you know eighty bazillion dollars they're gonna have to pay him is is one thing. Um, I, I think there was a, a level of uncertainty in this process. It, it's why Seattle took a lot of senior bowl guys. They they were looking for certainty in a draft class where there was none and. You know, when these guys hit the field, it, it, Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers I've seen in the last five years. He opted out. We don't know if he's going to be rusty. You know, we don't know. I'm sure he's been training like a demon and all that. But, you know, being on the field and running those routes and reconnecting with Joe Burrow and Cincinnati and all that, um, there's a lot. There's more we don't know about draft prospects this in this particular process than at any other time, maybe in the history of the draft, unless you go back to like the thirties when they were just reading street and Smith and going, I'll take that guy. Um, there's a lot on the line right now. Um, and I don't necessarily factor in, you know, here's the Dunlap pick. Here's the Gabe Jackson pick. Here are the, you know, the multiple Jamal Adams picks. I don't look at it that way. Um, I say for where they were, they did a very solid job. Um and you guys know this as well as I do. When you look at Seattle's history of first-round draft picks. Oh, man. <laughs> and I will also say this. Jamal Adams fits the, the paradigm and the prototype when Seattle trades away their first-round picks because, you know, Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, Jamal Adams, it's amazing athletes, and we'll figure out where to put them. Mm-hmm. And I don't, think, I don't think they had – I don't think they really knew what they were going to do with Jamal when they got him. I think they knew that he could sort of do everything – but it, I don't think they got him saying he's going to be a box guy and a blitz guy and be okay in the deep third and okay in the slot. I don't, I don't think you cut that much of a check for a guy who is functionally limited in a lot of the ways that you want a, a safety at that level to really excel. So if you're if you're in the uh, so marks if marks given the C plus and you're in the B B minus range that would actually be one of the highest grades out there i think only mel kuyper and mm, one oh rob rang rob rang gave a b as well see it's another local guy who's kind of gone national there's a theme here uh so oh, why, why, I've, I've been rob for years yeah rob is, rob is one of the best why, why are you willing to give kind of the benefit of the doubt to this class overall 
I think, you know, it's 5'10 Mac receiver who's, what is he, 24? That's mm-hmm. 24. Um, you look at that, you know, 5'10 cornerback. Well, what are they doing with that? Is he going to be a slot? Well, maybe he's going to play outside. Uh, Stone Forsyth, who the heck is that? Unless you watch Florida, you might not know. When you watch the tape and you actually break down what these guys can do, I think they got incredible value for where they sat. And I, I think the evaluations are probably colored to a point by they only have three picks. You know, Snyder couldn't trade down, didn't have enough capital, teams weren't biting, or they wanted to stay here and got and get the guys they got. Um, uh, you know, again, we can debate Jamal Adams all day. I'd be perfectly happy to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as we're talking off air, Khalil Mack and Jalen Ramsey and Larry Tunsil, when you give up two first-round picks for a guy – and you don't have him under club control for a second, a ne- the next contract, you're going to pay him more than anyone else at his position. That's what either the Seahawks are going to do that or they're going to tag him and then let him go. And that's, you know, that that's not fireable, but it's close. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I look at, I, you know, I, I watched it because obviously I'm, I'm, you know, juggling 32 teams. So I didn't have time to really look at Seattle's draft picks at a forensic level the way I wanted to. And none of these guys were first two rounds and I'm covering NFL nonstop in season. So pretty much when the Super Bowl ends, I switch over to draft and I watch as much as I can. Um, so prep for this pod was the first time I really got a chance to sit down and say, okay, two to three games, with Eskridge and Brown and Forsyth. What, who are they? What kind of players are they? And I think when you look at it that way, instead of, oh, Seattle's always weird, and only the Raiders are weirder, and they only have <laughs> and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You take out the narratives, you look at where they were picking and the players they got, I think it's fine. Okay. But you have to drill down to that level, I think, before you, you know, because, I mean, you know, these guys all have question marks. You know, Eskridge was Mac, and he's older, and can he win outside? And, you know, Brown with his size and the penalties and – Forsyth, I still don't know how the hell he fought for the sixth round. Can, there, are re, there, are, there are obvious reasons he slipped out of, like, the top five tackles. But going to the sixth round was like, okay. You know, I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of cartwheels in Renton when that happened. But, you know, when you when you take out the, the overriding narratives about how Seattle's, you know, weird in the draft and they kind of think their own way. Um, and, again, you look at the players – I, I think the value is fine. I want to go back to your top 10, basically, because you let the Seahawks out. They were actually 12. What was missing in that so that they didn't make it? Because I thought, dang, they're only two spots away. Is it as simple as they didn't have enough draft picks and they would have been a top 10? Yep. I figured that. It was. Yeah. I knew I knew it was that easy. I just wanted to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Had Schneider gone down, and again, we don't know if it, you know. I, I know Schneider will say we tried and we couldn't, you know, move down to get more picks. It may have been okay. Here are the guys we targeted, and they're still here. Mm. And I think you could make an argument that all three of the players they took, you could make a credible argument that if any of them had been drafted higher, certainly Forsyth, um, third or fourth round, nobody would you know surprised by that i'll tell you who forsyth reminds me of is a plus pass blocker and a guy who needs work in the run game uh was walker little from stanford who was hurt in 2019 opted out in 2020 did not a lot of tape on a best pass blocking lineman in this class he went in the second round mm-hmm. i don't think there's a huge difference between 
Walker Little and Stone Forsyth in both the positives and the negatives. So, you know, uh, what's missing is picks. I think value for where they were. Yeah. I mean, these aren't developmental guys. These are guys who have a, a, all three of them have the potential, certainly in the preseason and maybe in the regular season, maybe not Forsyth right away because, you know, it's interesting the Seahawks took a guy who can't run block. Um, <laughs> it's also very Seahawks to do that. Um, you know, they, you know, the, the, I don't think the value is questioned, but they were missing his picks. With, with Stone, um, I think we had, we had Dane Brugler on the, the show, and the thing that's kind of trippy with Stone is the varying opinions on him. Like, guys all the way think he's a first-round guy to – Clearly, teams didn't think he was that great because he fell to the to the sixth. And there were some like consensus boards that had him outside of the top three hundred. Yeah. Um, but do you do you see a guy who could be the successor to Dwayne Brown in twenty twenty two? It's funny about um, diverging opinions on offensive tackles. You know, Liam Eikenberg, who I think went in the third round, um, somewhere around there. I had him as my OT eleven. I I don't know if I found him draftable. Oh wow! Damn. Um, and when you see that, you know, I, you know, OT four and second round guy, and I'm thinking, mm, boy, I might, I might be missing something. I think it kind of depends on what kind of tackle you like. If you like a glass eater who, you know, like if you like Tevin Jenkins, who the bears took and apparently going to move to left tackle, which ouch, um, the glass eating. I mean, I, I can say this about stone foresight. There is no, greater proof that the Tom Cable era is over than the fact that they took <laughs> There's absolutely Tom Cable would look at Stone Forsyth and burn the tape and set the room on fire and just leave because that's, you know, um, if you want a glass eater, if you want a guy who doesn't lunge when he run blocks, um, if you want, you know, power pig, that uh, guy um, with a finishing mentality, which Forsyth doesn't always have, you're not going to like him. Um, if you if you're looking for a guy who can and I, I do my notes now, it's you want guys who can mirror through the arc and go all the way, you know, pick up a counter, pick up a stunt, do all that stuff. He's your guy. He can do that all day. He can do that right now. Uh, the work he did against Aziz Ojolari in the Florida Georgia game, Aziz got nothing. Aziz went home. <laughs> so the diverging opinions on a guy like that, where the, the pluses are so much over here, obvious, and the minuses are so over here, obvious. It doesn't surprise me that it was a wild variance because what the player has a wild variance. You assume the opinions are going to have a wild variance too. Well, what's, what's interesting about that though, is that you would think that he would be given the benefit of the doubt because the pluses are with, are, are in the area of something so valuable as pass blocking. You know, it's like if you can do that in this league, you're going to be around for a long time. Like Dwayne Brown was a first round pick in what, 2008, I think. And like it's still playing at a high level in 2021. So I would have thought it, it like kind of like Walker Little, like if there are some questions, because Walker Little hasn't played since since Nam, like you get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, for real, he hasn't played in a while. Uh, you get the benefit of the doubt because you can pass block. No. Yeah. Good morning, Vietnam. Yeah. Um it depends. And I will be fascinated to see when we're all, you know, cross our fingers at training camp and we can actually go there and do that. Um, how they work with him. Because he's got, and you look at six, nine tackles in the NFL. Uh, Villanueva went from Pittsburgh to Baltimore. He was six, nine. Ogden, Jonathan Ogden was six, nine. But Ogden was, you know, obviously a rare bird. 
I think with his run blocking, you can have him use his hands aggressively. He's got long arms. Um, where he struggles is he's that tall and he plays high and you can't do both. You can't be six, nine and play that high. And by playing high, you guys know this. I mean, he will stand up instead of, you know, using his lower body, um, using his leverage. He doesn't really know how to use his leverage. And I don't know how immediately teachable that is. So getting back to your question, can he be Dwayne Brown's replacement in 2022? I mean, they hope so, but <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll see. That's going to be – that might be a stretch as if this was, you know, the Buccaneers where they're throwing 700 times a season, I would say there'd be more of a chance. But we know what this offensive personality is, and it doesn't matter who the coordinator is. It comes from up top. So, you know, could be a stretch. I want to stick with the offensive side of the football and talk about Dwayne Eskridge because – I think he's going to fit with this offense, but I've also read that there were possible other wide receivers that the Seahawks could have went after. If you were in that draft room, would Dwayne Eskridge been the number one receiver you're looking at, or was there someone else that you're saying this person would fit the Seahawks more? Mm, well, it was interesting what um, when I read the third day, the second day transcript where Pete and John are both talking about like, okay, you, they were asked, is he a slot guy? Is he an outside guy? And what they said was he's not really either. What we're looking for is matchups. Mm. And that we're creating matchups. And that's where the league is absolutely going. Position list is all over the place. You know, slot guys are outside, except for DeAndre Hopkins. They line up at backside ISO 97% of the time. Come on, Cliff. <laughs> um, I know it's a Seahawks podcast, but we should encourage Cliff to keep doing that. But, you know, um, when I watched Eskridge, a couple things. He can win from outside. Now, if Jalen Ramsey's pressed up on him, you know, at 6'2 and whatever, maybe not so much. But when you watch Devontae Smith, and I wrote a whole big piece about how 166 is not going to be a big deal for Devontae Smith. Well, how is he going to be aggressive press coverage with his feet? He, has, he absolutely knows how to gain leverage, take a cornerback this way when he wants to go that way, you know, I will beat you at the line, and I will zig when you zag. Eskridge has, I wouldn't say Devontae Smith's footwork, but similar characteristics in the ability to get open against aggressive, bigger press corners. And that happens outside. That happens either as your Z or your X-ISO or whatever. Um, and, I mean, he ran a limited route tree. I understand that. It's not like Seattle's route tree is, you know, <laughs> right. Gilman part two anyway. <laughs> um, and there was this guy they drafted a couple of years ago who everyone said couldn't run routes and he turned out okay. Oh, wait, not everyone said he couldn't run routes. There was one yeah, guy. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so I think he can win outside. He can win. Now, that footwork I'm talking about where you gain, you establish leverage against the cornerback, against the slot defender, against, you know, safeties coming up, whoever. Um, I should say defensive back at this point because it's all interchangeable. Um, when you don't have the boundary, Sherm told me this years ago. I was watching tape with him in 2015, and I said, what's the difference between, and we can talk about this with Trey Brown too, the difference between playing outside and playing in the slot, Sherm said, the number one thing about playing in the slot is the boundary is no longer your friend. Mm. You have to look both ways. And I think Eskridge could provide real problems for slot defenders with his footwork, and then – that sort of binary speed where it just takes off and, you know, he can, he cuts very well into his slants and, you know, drags and stuff like that. I think he has 
a lot of interesting ways to get open, um, to present. In one of Mike Martz's Rams playbook, he said, present a favorable picture to the quarterback as a receiver. And I think he does that. So, you know, is he slot? Is he outside? I mean, obviously they want Metcalf and Lockett outside. Maybe Eskridge is the slot guy. Lockett is also a superlative slot receiver. Has been for a long time. So they can flip it around. And, you know, as I said, I, I don't, I think the more the NFL goes on, Mike Smith used to be the Falcons head coach. Long time, like, God, 10 combines ago or so, I, we were talking about coverage. He was such a nice guy. He just kind of, you know, ear hold him in the, the little hall outside the, the podiums. And we just sat there and talked coverage for like 15 minutes, apropos of nothing. And he said, where this is going is it's not going to be about schemes. It's going to be a matchup league in the passing game. How can I beat your corner? How can your, how can your defense beat me in matchups? It's not – oh, it's this coverage against this formation. It's all about matchups. And I think Eskridge is a matchup guy. He can win that way. Okay. We also know that Eskridge 24. And when he's up for a new deal, he'll be 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Do you think that will play a factor in him getting a new deal because of his age? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, if he goes for over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns in each of the next four seasons, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, if he becomes, you know, if his size somehow works against him, which I don't think it will, uh, if he gets hurt a lot, uh, you know, if he comes, if he turns into Paul Richardson, the sequel, well, of course it will, but you know, we'll see. You know, you mentioned something interesting about the whole matchup thing, because that's kind of where, as I've entered my nerdiness of football, like I'm just now learning. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fun, you know, like learning that the ins and outs of like three technique fights. D line is kind of my thing now that I've been studying lately in fronts and stick and bear and all this other stuff. Anyway, like I've been kind, I've come into these conclusions about like how other teams match up against other teams, particularly with your weakest link, matters a lot more than I think we give credit for. Like I think it really matters. Like let's use the O line for example. I think having a good left tackle really matters, but honestly, I've leaned more towards like if you're if the worst guy on your line is like really 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 bad, your line will just ultimately fall apart, you know, with the right uh, personnel on the other side of it. And on, just on defense in general, I've been interested to kind of look at like where is your weak link and can he be exploited? Because I've I've seen some games where I think the 2019 NFC Championship game was a really good example where the Niners just ran for 50 million yards on the Packers. 
they found like a weak link. I think it was one of their linebackers, and we're just like, we're just gonna it go at you. Packers, it was all their linebackers. Yeah, and they were just like, you guys have right here is your weak link. Shanahan was like, this is it. Doesn't matter that you have Pro Bowlers or you have talent everywhere else, which they did. You have a weak link right here, and we're gonna kill you. And I feel like that, whether it's a weak a weak lineman, a weak corner, weak whatever. Like even the, the Packers secondary last year was fine, except for uh, what's his name from UW. You know, it was uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, he got his ass kicked against the Buccaneers. But it was kind of like Carlton Davis against the Chiefs, where he went three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Well, a, you don't put him on an island with Tyree Kill. Come on. Um, and B, outside of that, he was pretty good the rest of the season. Um, I was stumping a little bit for Kevin King homecoming because he wasn't as bad as that. Because especially with corners and safeties and you know offensive linemen, it's it's a reductive series of positions where the thing you don't do once will eradicate the thing you do well seven hundred times. So if you get your you know lunch handed to you in one game, that's all people remember. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if it's in the playoffs too, which yeah. is why like the idea of a of a King reunion. Might not sit well. I'm not allowed to really say anything good about him after uh Twitter during the championship game, but it's just that idea oh. of like your weak links matter more than I think uh we kind of give credit for, which is what made the Rams defense last year, I think, so incredible because, like, yeah, they were top heavy, but like they were also like really deep too. So they were like frequently putting 11 dudes out there who could kick your ass. They were schematically really diverse and very, and you know, Russ had his issues with that. Where, too high, disguise. Too high, keep too high, but we're going to run cover six, which is quarters over here and cover two over here. You never knew what you were going to get. And now the Rams bring in Raheem Morris, who is more of a straight man-on-man cover guy, and they have the guys to do that. But I'm fascinated to see um, with the Chargers, Brandon Staley, former Rams DC, now Chargers head coach, um, Michael Davis, one of the most underrated corners in the NFL. Derwin James, he can stay healthy for once. And they got my guy, Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round. He's just oh, perfect. Uh, best cover six corner in the NCAA last year. Um, great zone awareness. So, yeah, the one thing I'll also say about offensive line, and I know Greg Cosell has been saying this for a couple of years, and I agree. I don't think there's any discernible difference in the importance between left tackle and right tackle at this point. Because mm-hmm. as often as not, your best pass rusher is either going to be bookended by another equally good pass rusher, or he's going to be on the defensive left side anyway. Countering to that, the fact that, you know, if you think, well, I can handle Leonard Floyd as the right tackle, but, oh, crap, here comes Aaron Donald on a stunt. And Aaron Donald played like 30% of his snaps last year at defensive end. Mm. You don't want that. I don't want that. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 I think it is about more about matchups than positions at this point. It's, and you look at what the Seahawks did. What did they go for? Speed and athleticism all over the place um, with their you know, three picks. I say all over the place. <laughs> let's, let's get into their, their second pick, uh, Trey Brown, who everyone kind of su- – su- they surprised everyone, at least Pete did. It surprised me at least. It's just like, man, you took a 5'9 guy to play outside. Like that's really I, – I, I commended him in our post-draft podcast just because like I, I've kind of grown again in my nerdiness to realize you shouldn't pigeonhole anyone based on measurables if they can play, no. right? Like if if you don't, if you can, if Puna Ford's five ten or whatever, but he's a beast inside, take him, right? Like I don't think you should be pigeonholed by any measurables, and that includes corners. <laughs> but kind of what what was your kind of overall thought when you when you saw Pete take a five nine guy and then say that oh man, Pete was like oh 
he's going to play outside. Like, how did you kind of react to that? Uh, Brown had a total of 29 snaps in the slot in college. So, and again, we get back to my discussion with Sherm years ago. What's the difference between, because the, the thought is, oh, you take the, the smaller, slower guy and put him inside. And that may have worked like 10, 15 years ago. It doesn't work now with double slot and, you know, uh, switch release crossers and everything just going nuts. Um, you know, with Trey Brown, I, I'll just give you my notes. Another guy with great speed and returnability. By the way, Eskridge and Brown are both great returners. So that's, you know, I think that's the thing. Seattle obviously wants to be faster and more athletic all over the place. Uh, I learned it, I, I did a piece with Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, asked him a couple things at his pro day, and he kept he met he mentioned dog mentality about 17 times in a 10 minute interview. <laughs> Trey Brown, if I talked to him for the same amount of time, would probably mention it 25 times because that's mm -hmm. how he is a dog. He he wants to kick your ass. He's not always going to do it, and sometimes when he does do it, he's going to get flagged. He got flagged a lot. And it's like when I was watching J.C. Horner, the Panthers took eighth overall. Um, like, oh, that's a flag in the NFL. So is that. Oh, that is too. Well, that's going to be interesting. Um, Pete has proven that he'll take aggression and try and work with it. So uh, aggressive outside disruptor who comes to his receiver looking for a fight. That's a good fit for this defense. A downside, 17 penalties over the last two seasons. That's, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, Carroll's history seems to indicate that he'll accept that to a point. Last season, Brown allowed 21 catches on 20, 44 targets for 266 yards, one touchdown, three picks, and an opponent pass rating of 46.2. He has acquired a lockdown mentality, and I think that's important. When you, Because there are corners like Jamar Johnson from uh, Indiana, who I thought was the best deep third safety in this class. And the Broncos got him way late because he just cannot tackle. Like, oh boy, that's a problem. It's a third round. It's like a three round drop. Um, <laughs> and I could see Vic. I was talking to Mark Schofield on our podcast. I could see Vic Fangio looking at Jamar Johnson's coverage and going, "That's a first round guy." Looking at his tackling and going, "Where's the Maalox? I need a drink." <laughs> that's not Trey Brown. Um, so Trey Brown will go after it at all times. Um, what I said is if he wasn't 5'10", he would have been taken a lot higher than he was. And does that sound like someone else we know from about 2002? Yeah. Well, actually, that's not – John Snyder said that exact same. I think he said uh, if Trey was 6'2", he would have went top 10. Like, I don't know if he would have uh, went top 10, but he, is, it, it, he agreed that, yeah, he would have went higher. He's, he's not just a press corner. He's a man press corner. And I think man coverage has become more important in today's NFL because so much of it is quick game. So yeah. much of it. It's so much more – zero to three step drops and zero to one step drops and get the ball out, get the ball out. It's about sustaining and keeping drives going and yak. And yes, we're going to have explosive plays, but those are more steamed up than trying to stand back there in the pocket for six seconds. Cause against modern defense, you can't do that anymore. So with, with quick game, you're not always going to get to the quarterback to disrupt what he's doing. What you have to do is to be able to disrupt the receiver. Just makes sense. You can't get to the quarterback. You throw the receiver off his step. You know, he's supposed to he's supposed to go four steps up and in. And if that four steps up and in takes an extra half second, the quarterback has to recalibrate with Zedarius Smith right here or Aaron Donald right here or whoever. Um, and that doesn't always work out. So in that regard, Trey Brown is very much a modern cornerback. And if you want a guy – I would say that if you want a guy who you can move inside and out, you would want a smaller guy because generally speaking, it's the bigger corners who struggle with 
two and three way goes and option routes and your Julian Edelman's and Cooper cups and Chris Godwin's in the world who can just, you know, um, Eskridge, by the way, is another one of those guys. He's, he will give bigger, bigger cornerbacks fits in coverage because he's so quick in and out of his breaks. So I think in that, and I know DJ Reed was sort of a inflection point for Carol and Schneider saying, Hey, maybe smaller cornerbacks are good. I know I, I, Carol has history going back to college, but certainly the ideal has been do this big thing, you know. Um, and Seattle played a lot more man than people think. People look at Carol and go, oh, cover three, cover three, cover three. Not really. They played a lot more man last year. Um, I don't know if that's a Carroll thing or a Norton thing or a whoever thing, but, um, you know, can Trey Brown play 800 snaps outside? I don't know. Could he, get, could he do 400 and 400? Yeah, I think so. That might be, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Forsyth and his run blocking. Trey Brown might wind up being their best value pick in this draft. I just, I love this tape because I love cornerbacks who just want to get after it. You guys talked earlier about matchups. And is that maybe another reason why Pete Carroll and John Snyder decided to make a move with on Trey Brown, considering looking at the NFC West and the wide receivers and so many different positions these guys do play, whether it be slot outside, they're like, you know what, we should go with Trey because he can pretty much do it all. Like you said, he could probably do 400 outside and the other 400 inside, which is a pretty good split. Is that something that the Seahawks are like, you know what, we'll take a risk on that, even though he doesn't fit the, you know, the, he doesn't fit the quote of six, two long arms and all these other attributes. Well, I give Carol Schneider, you know, kudos for not just, well, we take big guys only. So I don't care if this guy's good. He's not a big guy. Um, that over time is how you get yourself fired as an executive. Um, hi, Matt Patricia. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. You signed Justin Coleman to a four-year, what, twenty-eight million dollar deal, and you make him play man. Justin Coleman had probably never played man in his entire life. So, mm. um, yeah, you look at the NFC West. I mean, there's Cooper Cup. There's you know a very schemed-up passing game. Certainly, here's Debo Samuel. Uh, are you excited for the Trey Brown Debo Samuel matchups? Because oh, I am. That's that's dog on dog. Um, yeah, Rondale Moore with the Cardinals. That's going to be fun because that kid had like a two route tree in that Purdue offense. But you put him in a spread system like Cliff insists on running. Um, you know, so there are matchups to be to be had. And when you have three by one sets, which are the norm in the NFL, you got two slot guys to cover to the dominant side of the formation. Now, you can either have a couple of really good slot corners, smaller guys who can move, or you can bring your, you know, box safety down and get your ass kicked. Your choice. <laughs> the choice is yours. The <laughs> choice is yours. Do this successfully or get your ass kicked. One or two. One of the probably the biggest storyline of the offseason up here in Seattle was like what in the world happened to the offense in the second half of the 2020 season. Uh, we've dissected this thing a million times on here, but when you look at what happened to Seattle after, say, the Buffalo game, or, yeah, let's go there. Like, just what did, what did you see? I think there was an element of predictability. I think the offensive line let Russ down a bit. I think Russ let the offensive line down a bit. I think that was mutual. Um, I think in the passing game, Seattle got a bit, bit, bit kind of dogmatic with what they wanted to do. Um, there's that story. It was before the Cardinals game where Russ had, you know, I want, I have some ideas and they just told him to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, if I were Russell Wilson, I'd be like, really? I'm not calling an Aaron Rodgers here, but that's ridiculous. 
Um, you want your, I, I wrote a piece about that and, you know, talking to Bruce Arians years ago with, uh, I mean, it was Carson Palmer in Arizona and Palmer was telling me, you know, the first thing Bruce does is, okay, here are the first 20, the opening 15 or whatever. Well, what are you most comfortable? What am I, what is my quarterback most comfortable with? Cause if he's not comfortable with it, I really don't care. There are times in Seattle seems to want to put Russell in a hair shirt and make him run stuff. He's not comfortable with. Um, and I know Dan Orlovsky made a great point to me. We were just talking probably two, three months ago. And he said, you know, there are times when Russell's on the same page and the offensive line isn't and the receivers aren't. And there are times when the offensive line's there and the Russell and the receivers aren't. It, it, it's really hard to get everyone together. Um, and this offense has been built so much on Russell making, you know, improvisational plays, second reaction plays. It's almost schoolyard. I don't mean that in a, you know, it's not like Russell can't handle more. Obviously he can. He can handle whatever playbook you give him. But there has been an element of schoolyard ball to this offense for a lot, the passing game for a long time. And I think Pete Carroll has reveled in that and hated it at the same time. It's like, you know, Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Yes. Um, not talking about Brett's recent forays into social media, which that's a different story. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think in the end, Russell didn't see what he wanted a lot, and he got frenetic, which he tends to do. And all of a sudden, he's breaking the pocket before he should. Um, there was not there was not that down-to-down consistency that he had in the first few weeks. Um, I know Lockett talked about defenses sort of figuring out what they were doing. I don't know how, how much to place into that because defenses generally know what you're doing. <laughs> generally, no, I mean, really, it's – you know, these guys get paid bazillions of dollars and the coaches get paid bazillions of dollars. If you can't figure out what they're doing when they're, you know, when they're two slot receivers in a tight formation, if you don't have a pretty good idea of what that means, why are you here? Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, there's an obvious disconnect between what they want, what the coaches want to do and what Russell wants to do. I don't know what it is. I don't know specifically what the disconnect is. Um, I would think more play action. I would think more shot plays off play action. Maybe Russell would like some of the run game to be replaced with a timing rhythm passing game or a West Coast offense deal, which I think he had more with Bevel um, than he did with Schottenheimer. Um, I don't know with, with the new system what that's going to be, although they said, you know, with, with the new OC, it's going to be about matchups and creating speed and, you know, mismatches and all that. Um, we'll see. You know, does that mean more of a Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay offense where it's heavy pre-snap motion, heavy play action, um, making things easier for Russell? I, I would think that would be a great idea. Anytime you can make it easier for your quarterback, even if your quarterback is Russell Wilson or Tom Brady, I think you should do that. You know, the interesting thing you mentioned is um, Russ letting the O-line down to some extent, or even his coaches to some extent. What does that in particular look like? Well, it looks like, in in practice in in the actual game is instead of because there's a difference between pocket movement and moving out of the pocket you guys know this uh pocket movement is is tom brady he is the best in that like four foot by four foot boxing ring he'll move and he'll move and he'll move he's not he's never run boot in his life um, and it's why, you know, Mac Jones has no second reaction ability. Well, Tom Brady doesn't. Yeah, because he's Tom Brady. Not Mac Jones. Not Kyle Trapp. Stop it. Um, I think there were times when Russ broke the pocket too quickly. 
I think he took himself out of plays that were there as a result. And I think that's been a problem for a number of years. I can go back to 2017 in particular when I think they had four rushing touchdowns and Russ had three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. J.D. McKissick had the other one. That was the Nadir – was it McKissick? Yeah, he had uh, week four against the Colts. He had like a 30-yarder. Matches for Washington last year, go figure. That was like the Nadir of the Tom Cable era, um, which, you know, low bar anyway. So I think, you know, quarterbacks get spooked when they get hit a lot. I don't, I don't care who you are. You just do. Um, so what it looks like on the field is Russell breaking from structure before he needs to because he's sensing, sensing pressure that is there or even more dangerously sensing pressure that isn't there, what we call seeing ghosts. And I think Russell saw a lot of ghosts last year. Damn. That's unfortunate. That explains why he, he went on that media tour and explaining, hey, I've been hit way too many times. But with that, you look at the offensive line right now, Dwayne Brown, Damian Lewis, Ethan Posick, Gabe Jackson, and even Brandon Shell. Doesn't that seem like a pretty decent old line that is going to be better than it was last season? Yeah, I love the Gabe Jackson pickup. He's, that's, um, you know, <laughs> he's one of the best, just pure fire out and, you know, beat you to beat you up run blockers in the NFL uh, when he's healthy. Um, yeah, I'm not a poke guy. Potic? Poke? Posick. Posick, yeah. Posick. <laughs> Tough one. <laughs> uh, Posick, I really had questions about his play strength when he came out. I haven't really seen anything to disabuse me of that notion. Now, there are centers who can get away with being smaller, and I always think of Jason Kelsey because he's so mobile and you know doesn't matter if he's 290 or whatever. Um, I, but I think in this offense, you want a guy with more play strength. I don't think he's ever really acquired that. The guards, I think they're fine. Dwayne Brown, good deal. Um, yeah, it's it may be overall the best offensive line Russ has had. Mm. Um, I know you're 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 thinking. <laughs> All right, go back and think. Has he ever had a better one? And again, very low bar. Yeah, maybe twenty. The twenty thirteen line was good. I think yeah, good I'm enough to win the Super Bowl. I'm look that up right now. 2013 Seahawks. Yeah, yeah I, off the top of my head, it escaped me. But I mean, even if this one is the best, like in year ten, I mean, damn, it's about time. Ten years. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was the year when it was 2015. Who was the guy, the defensive tackle that Cable made a center for the first seven games? They lost like four of those games. It was pretty much because of that. Oh, that that's a good trivia. I need to pull that. Someone's listening, like Mike. It's this, and I just can't think off the top of my head. Oh man, it's gonna the, bug me. Now the Tom Cable era was a very interesting. Okay, twenty Seahawks. The primary starting left tackle was Paul McQuiston. Oh, uh, James Carpenter left guard, Max Unger center, J.R. Sweezy right guard, and that was in the really seriously developmental era of J.R. Sweezy. They did not have a good offensive line in their Super Bowl winning year. Uh, man, that's impressive. Russ is impressive. <laughs> Russ is that dude. I think the year after that, yeah, they got they had Okung. And then Carpenter, Unger, Sweezy, and Britt. So oh, that's that, that, that should be solid. Twenty fourteen was pretty solid. Twenty fourteen, uh, pretty solid. Okay, yep. And we'll see what happens with um, with Stone Forsyth. Do they want him at right tackle? I don't know. We'll see. I, I I would certainly I would expect to see him a lot in the preseason to see like how they've coached him up to be more aggressive and use his leverage better. If he can nail that. That could be a that could be larceny in the sixth round, but you know, 
So it sounds like for the most part, you're not 100% sold on Ethan Posig. Is that something that maybe the Seahawks should have done different in the draft and gone after a center to solidify that center position? I mean, possibly. Uh, Landon Dickerson wasn't going to be there. He was my top center. Creed Humphrey, who I really like a lot, went to the Chiefs at the bottom of the second round. Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater was kind of the senior bowl darling in the third round of the Broncos. I'm not as sold on him. Uh, Josh Myers from Ohio State would have been maybe a better option. Uh, Drew Dahlman from Stanford. If they want more of that athletic guy with sort of Jason Kelsey upside who can get beaten in power situations but is agile and mobile and enough of a, a astute shot caller to make up for it, yeah, I think they could definitely improve in that area. And I think, you know, just going back to my play strength concerns with Posick, I haven't seen enough to make me think, oh, yeah, he's gotten over that. And if you have play strength issues and you're, you know, trying to work on your leverage and, you know, blah, 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 coaching points, uh, and this is what Stone Forsyth may run into, at a certain point, you just have to admit that maybe you're not physically cut out to handle the rigors of that position. And that may be where he winds up. You know, Ethan's interesting for me because it goes back to what I was saying about like your your weakest link, quote unquote. Like, if, I think in if Ethan's their worst lineman of their starting five, I, I can I can get down with with that. I think like that's knowing what the skill positions they have and how good I think the defense can be. Like, if the weakest guy on your starting eleven uh, for the Seahawks on offense is Ethan, like you know that you can win a division with that. No. Yeah, I mean, look at what the Chargers did. They had a center last year. I forgot the dude's name, um, which is good for him. Gave up 33 <laughs> pressures as a center, which led the league. They went out and signed um, Corey Lindsley, the NFL's best center. Huge yeah. money. Uh, Corey Lindsley gave up three total pressures all of last season. That started the season through the NFC Championship game. Uh, and they got Rashawn Slater, who was my OT1A. Uh, so, you know, that that's that's a team that decisively went out to protect the quarterback. And it depends on, you know, this is this has been kind of a guard-based offensive line to a point, and they're set there. Left tackle-based offensive line. They've been set there when Brown's healthy. Um, it really depends on – I understand I, I understand with and agree with what you're saying about the weakest link – there are positions where, because you, unless you're the Raiders a couple of years ago, you're not going to spend $100 million on your offensive line per year, and they just traded all those guys anyway. Um, but if I'm Seattle, do I want to throw a pick at the Raiders for Rodney Hudson? You bet your ass I do. That would have been pretty good. Where do you and go? He went to Arizona? Is, I think so. Rodney Hudson, even at this point in his career, is 10 times the center that Posick is, and that's not – I'm, I'm not trying to drag the guy through the mud. It's just that Hudson is much, much better. It, but, you know, it depends on – you have to make sacrifices under the cap at certain positions, and it just depends for Seattle on where they want to make those sacrifices. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, speaking of the cap, let's get back to the guy we talked about a little bit earlier in Jamal Adams, and that's kind of the next step for Seattle in their offseason, um, assuming that there's no move like K.J. Ryder or Richard Sherman, which I don't think there will be. Um, specifically with KJ. I think that that ship is kind of sailed for, for Seattle, but the next move is uh, Jamal, like figuring out what to do with him. I, so here we go. I'm, I'm Jamal's agent real quick. I forget the dude's name, but I'm gonna be him for a second here. Like, all right, my case here is Jamal can impact the defense at like kind of all three levels as a rusher, effectively playing like a linebacker and can can cover you know better than anyone else who is a front seven guy primarily i guess that would be the 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 argument there because he can do that so young three-time pro bowler we want 19 million dollars a year because my guy can do a little bit of everything and he's elite at the most elite thing in the league which is getting to the quarterback boom did i just get 19 million a year from my guy not what you think, Doug? No, oh damn, that's the dramatic pause. I was like, oh, wait a minute, did yeah, I get it? Well, because while you're but because while you, Mr. Agent, are going blah blah blah, I'm pulling up the pro football focus stats and oh, uh win in slot coverage last year. Let's include the playoffs by all means. Let's include the playoffs by all means. Slot coverage. Jamal Adams led the team with 107 coverage snaps, gave up 18 catches on 24 targets for 235 yards. 73 yards after the catch. Deep third coverage, he was even worse. So my counter would be he is the best blitzing safety of his era. He may be the best blitzing safety in NFL history unless it was Larry Wilson and back in the 60s. And he's a great box defender, and he's a very aware guy when everything's in front of him. I don't know how much that matters. So how about okay? Here we go. Because let me put it this way: How is he? I mean, he's kind of a lighter Devin White. Blitzes from all over the place. Very aware. Um, not that great in coverage. Right, now, so how how about how about how about this then? Okay. We add the the we contextualize some of those numbers from last year to add that my guy uh, suffered an elbow injury in week two. And play played through that. Had the uh, what was he out with for four weeks? It was a groin. Groin had the groin injury. Uh, got his shoulder smashed by Gerald Everett in week nine. I want to say that wasn't pretty though. Yeah, no, that looked it was really it looked like how honestly, um, Dwayne Eskridge broke his collarbone. If you guys go look at the uh, Syracuse game where Eskridge breaks his collarbone, uh, his clavicle or whatever in 2019, defender lands on him. He's done. Like Jamal's injury against the Rams in that first matchup looks exactly the same. He just bounced through and. He was playing with broken fingers as well and still was a Pro Bowl guy in twenty in 2020. Now, can we get $19 million? I think he can play deep third coverage. I think he can play slot coverage. I don't think he has done well with either of those with Seattle. Okay. Um, now, the counter to all this is you, Mr. Jamal Adams' agent, have me 
anonymous Seahawks executive over a total barrel. <laughs> I, anonymous Seahawks executive, I, it must have been the Mescal. I don't know why they did this. Um, two first-round picks. Mm-hmm. Again, Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, alert. Uh, these guys all became the highest paid players at their positions purely because they, their teams had given up so much draft capital for them and didn't have them under club control for the next contract. So at that point, you're looking at either getting your ass fired or being on the precipice of it because you give up that much for a guy that you only had under club control for a year or two. There's no way that happens. So, so yeah, now but, getting the 19 million, it sounds like. Well, you're going to get somewhere. I'm looking at the the yearly for safeties. I think Buddha has it now, right? Is it yeah. 15? Buddha's making that most. Buddha's at 14.75 million. Justin Simmons is at 15.25 million a year. And he's with Denver, right? Yeah. Fully yeah okay, that's right. Me too. Uh, yeah. Um, but see, here's why. Here's why we're not just going to go for 16 or 17. Here's because, um, and I, I, Jamal's agent's name is Kevin, so I'm Kevin today. Um, I, so nice to meet you, anonymous Seahawks executive. Well, Kevin, uh, you're not getting 19 million because no other safety gets more than 15.25. First of all, well, see, that's the thing about my guy. He is not just a safety. He is what we like to call a weapon. The W. Yeah, big he's, w. he's yeah, he's, yeah, big dubs around he here. Is, he is he is a top tier weapon. He's also a middle tier safety. Oh, see, see, this is why they don't have the players do the negotiations because they do. No, they be in there saying stuff like this, it's like, yeah, no, you good at this, but like, now let's be real here, and it you need that. Well, I need to be a middleman. Yeah, I wrote a pretty extensive tape piece when they traded for Jamal Adams, and there were reps with the Jets where he was playing deep third, and he was great at it. So I think he has the physical tools to do it. I do wonder if this is another one of those things where Seattle got they they buy you know they go to the grocery store not just hungry but stoned and <laughs> they come out of there with some stuff man you got twenty five bags of gummy bears well I just wanted them um, <laughs> did they get Jamal Adams not knowing what he would do for them as they did with Percy Harvin as he did with Jimmy Graham they tried to make Jimmy you guys remember this they tried to make Jimmy Graham a blocking tight end for the first two years. <laughs> Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Graham agrees that that was. A t- he, he liked he liked a tweet that I had that said something like it's that. like buying. You said having a Ferrari and driving it on the freeway going sixty something. Yeah, that yeah. I said it was like having a sports car and driving at the speed limit or something. And Jimmy like liked the tweet. I didn't even tag him, and it was in a reply too. Like he was like having a there. Ferrari and trying to tow your like boat with it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the bright move. Jamal Adams is going to be the highest paid safety in the NFL with his next contract because the Seahawks mm-hmm. have no choice but to do so. Oh, well, I guess that'll sum it up, right? That history indicates that this will happen. Yeah, and I think uh, and the last thing on this too is that if I and, – and the um, I don't know if Kevin, Jamal's guy, would make this point too, but it's interesting. Like those guys who did become the highest paid, I think Laramie Tunsil beat the highest paid left tackle number – by a couple million annually, too. Yeah. It wasn't like he just it like he said, like close. yeah, it wasn't. He he beat it by a significant amount because he had no he, he had all leverage. So like, what you gonna do? You gave up the house for me, and you have to you have to pay oh, me. So Texans, uh, I could see the Texans like two guys in the same room actually bidding against each other and like they're outbidding themselves. <laughs> that that would be a Texans thing under Bill O'Brien. So uh, Jamal, uh, Kevin, 
You owe me one percent. That's it. Just one percent. That's it. I'll, I'll take it. One percent of like sixteen five a year would probably be a, a nice little. You could sock that away. Yeah. No. That then I'd be national. Then I would be. <laughs> then I could be. You'd be on D's level. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could do it. I, I tell you this, and now. Your guy Quandre um, is a great deep third safety, so maybe they figure, well, we got him back there. We don't need to, you know. But if I'm giving Jamal Adams 16-5 a year, I want some deep third, and I want some slot, and I want it right now. Oh, demands. And he, and he has the potential to do all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing. In, there's nothing about Jamal Adams from an athletic profile perspective that he can't do. On me, I mean, like whatever. He he is a weapon in that sense. You just maybe want to see a little bit more. No, I feel it. If you're paying him that much money, they they might want to see a little bit more too. Yeah, no, I mean he's what 24, 25. Like, yeah, there's there's room for him to. to I'm go. not saying anywhere near that he's not a great player. I'm not even because that would just make me look like an idiot, and I don't need help. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. We'll take the night. Uh, we're gonna take the nineteen. I, take I, it. I, I figured you would be okay with no, that. They, they they owe me the one percent. Uh, they give nineteen. They're gonna have a lot of explaining to do. I want to take a look at the backup quarterback position because you recently wrote a really cool piece. Gardner Minshew might be a perfect fit for the Seahawks. And personally, I'm like, damn, that's actually not bad at all, mm -hmm. considering Mike and I are Cougs. So we 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 like the Minshew mania, and why not bring it to Seattle? I think the locker room vibes with him and Russ would actually be very entertaining. But let's take a look at it from the football standpoint, and let's hear your thoughts on why you thought that made sense. And if people haven't checked it out, please go check it out. It's a really fun and cool piece. But go ahead, take it away. Minshew well, as a backup. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, what is Seattle's passing offense based off of? We're talking about <laughs> deep shots off play action. Yeah. Well, Minshew is a really phenomenally – I mean, yeah, the George the Florida man, and I get all that. He's a phenomenally accurate deep thrower. Um, he's pretty good under pressure. Uh, he's great with play action. So, of course, the Jaguars didn't use it last year because, you know, Doug Marone, Jay Gruden. That's what you get. Um, yeah, I, I mean, beyond – it wasn't like, oh, bring the kid to Washington and it'll be a thing. Yeah. I think he fits their system. You know, he's not he's not Russell Wilson mobile, but he's Gardner Minshew mobile, and that's more than enough. Um, yep. He can run boot all day. Uh, he can – he's thrown to levels. He's done quick game. He's done seven-step drops. He's done – you know, I – I, I totally understand why the Jaguars took Trevor Lawrence. I would say that makes Gardner Minshew one of the five best backup quarterbacks in the NFL and a top 25 starter. Mm. So See, if they can do that, I think they're shooting par or below. And the crazy thing is Mike has, Mike and I've had discussions and he's talked about on the podcast before about my wife is a coog, but I'm, oh. I have, I do not have that affiliation, but Laura went to Wazoo. So there you go. Oh, shout out. There it is. That's dope. But yeah, Mike always talks about, you know, one of the most important positions is that backup position and mentioning everything that Minshew can do. If Russ went down, why not have fellow Coog and a guy that can do all those things that you just pointed yeah. out? That would make perfect sense. No disrespect to Geno Smith because he's brought back for another season, but a younger, flashier, cooler kid. I mean, I'm all in. Sign me up. How can we get it done? Do we need to create a petition? Well, I don't want to like freak anyone out here, but. He's been, Russell's been hit more than any quarterback since he came into the league. And I, like more hits since any quarterback since 2010. He's had more hits than any other quarterback since two years before he was drafted. He's missed what, like two snaps in his whole career? 
That's not. Yeah. Crazy. No, that is that is pretty crazy. Awesome. Now we got to knock on something. Is this table? <laughs> yeah. I don't. Oh. There we go. Doug's got some wood. There we go. Glass behind no, you. The wall. Oh, the wall. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. We got to be careful. We want we want Russ healthy around here, man. He's good for business. As Rich Eisen says, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, Doug, we're gonna let you give a, another another victory lap here. I think we we might have had you do this last year too because. You weren't like the only person really high on DK's route running ability when he got drafted, but you were probably one of the most prominent, I want to say. Like you, I'll put it this way. You were one of the few people who wasn't like, couldn't have like go 12s in their bio on Twitter or the last name Metcalf, who was like, nah, he can run routes. You know, you wrote that piece in 2019, you know, why DK Metcalf is a better route runner than than you think. And it's just like, everything has, has come to life uh, there. Like, what do you think... What what does step three look or what does year three look like uh, for that guy? Since you're now the like the DK Metcalf whisperer of the show here, like you got it all. So what <laughs> what are we gonna get from this guy in year three? Uh, apparently, a lot of bad takes on why a ten point three six second hundred meter <laughs> coming from guys who wouldn't run a ten meter ten thirty six. I put myself in that too. Um, I think more of the same. I, you know, I don't think Seattle's route tree is ever going to be tremendously complex. It's beat your guy to a large degree. Um, Eskridge being in there, you know, Lockett's more the route runner. It, the I did a lot of tape last year, two or three pieces on the, the matchups between Jalen Ramsey and DK Metcalf. And there were some route complications involved, but it was really, I mean, does Mike Evans run a full route tree? Yeah, but his main goal is on the field is to be Mike Evans, to be 6'5", 230. DK Metcalf's main goal is to be 6'4", 226, running, you know, really, really fast. Uh, whether that's in a straight line or not, and making, you know, Calvin Johnson-style contested catches. Um, I think year three looks a lot like, you know, a lot like year two in that regard. Um, whether they want him to run a, a skinny slant, I mean, sure, that'd be nice, but what he's doing is what he should be doing. Where, where do you think um, Tyler and DK rank among the best receiver pairings in the league? Mm, I don't, I have to look, but top 10, top five, top three. Who did we have above them last we year? We had Julio, Calvin Ridley, and Calvin Ridley, by the way, is super underrated. Um, yeah, very. He was the most prolific deep receiver in the NFL last year. Yeah, he slept on. He also put up like Tyreek Hill numbers in a bad offense. Nelson Aguilar. His deep numbers were crazy. Oh, after that drop, I guess he got better, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, in Philly, he's like public enemy number one, but he can play. One thing you don't do, and then they don't remember the 700 things you do well. (laughs) That's, that's, we'll call that the Aguilaritis. Yeah. Top three to top five, I would say. Yeah, that's what we had them. We had we had them three. Our number one team was Atlanta, and then the number two team we had with wide receivers. Yeah, who was number two? I can't. Was it was it Evans and Godwin? It might have been. It might have been Evans and Godwin. Yeah, and then we put DK and Lockett at third. Yeah, that that. Yeah, that, that that seems fair. Sounds uh, about right. You, Doug, you mentioned uh, DK running the uh, the the hundred a little while back there. What what did what did you think he was going to run? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, he hung with everyone for 10 yards. 
and that's you know considering the fact that he's like four times as big as any of those other guys um yeah it was pretty decent it's impressive yeah no it's ridiculous man we've talked about this in the show a couple of times <laughs> I mean, that dude is different to, if they wanted to tailor it to his skill set it's a hundred meter at 50 meters have a cornerback there that you can just beat the crap <laughs> and then fit the rest of the race that, that would be yeah, just put Darius Slay in his in his way. Poor Darius, man. That Jim Schwartz just figure. set him up for just just <laughs> bad, destruction. Bad, bad, bad scheme. Yeah, that was. I think he's Jim's out of there now. I think so. Like, God, God, God bless. Uh, that we're gonna get you out of here on this, man. I thought we've covered kind of Seahawks off season. We haven't really d- dug into the other teams' off seasons too much. But where do you think Seattle now stacks up in the division? Give us your NFC West power rankings right here on the fly. You know, all the things I'm interested to see when the 2021 season starts is Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay's offense. Mm. That's, that's going to be – we're going to realize how bad Jared Goff really is. Oh, Jared Goff was <laughs> ass. Oh, my goodness. And we're going to realize when when Jared Goff's best receiver is Amon Ross St. Brown. Ooh, boy. Um, yeah. I think, it, I think Joe Budden said it best. It's two packs of ass. Like it was only talking about Jared Goff. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> Jared Goff. Yeah, no, it's kind of scary uh, to think about an arm talent like Stafford in an offense ran by McVay. Yeah, that's going to be a top three passing game. Uh, Raheem Morris replaces Brandon Staley. I don't know if that's a net downgrade, but it's just Staley was so good. Yeah. Raheem will. Pre- he's a pretty adaptable guy. I would say Rams and Seahawks. And as far as who's one and who's one A, it's a push. Um, Niners are going to, I mean, they have to come back from that injury block last year, but they also lost some, you know, they got Verrett back. And Verrett, of course, after his injury history, was like the only guy who was healthy. So now probably, you know, I don't want to say that. Um, Arizona, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what Cliff's doing with that offense. I would go, I would go LA. Seattle really close, San Francisco, Arizona. With with San Francisco there, are you projecting a whole year of Jimmy G, or does Kyle oh, eventually just be like, you know, we got to play this? This and why the hell they hell they had twenty eight point twenty six point eight million dollar cap hit? It was like two point eight million in dead cap if they released him. So you're holding on to Jimmy. That's a that's a twenty six million dollar mentorship for Trey Lance. <laughs> um, way, I love that fit. I love the Trey Lance. Fit. Um, you know, fullback, under center, wham, Y throwback. I mean, all the stuff Shanahan runs. North Dakota State. Um, you will see Trey Lance sooner than later. I'm convinced of that because the first time Jimmy G can't read middle of field close coverage and air mails whoever. Kyle's going to be like, oh, this crap again. <laughs> since Mike, since, in number five. Since Mike put you on the spot, I'll put you on the spot too. Over or under 11 and a half wins for the Seahawks this season, including the fact that there's one more game. Now they have 17 this year. Does that include the playoffs? No. Regular well, season. So they'd have to win 12 games to go over. 12 and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, over. And you said that with the breeze too. Yeah, 12, All right. Twelve and five. I mean, they went twelve last year too. I mean, it's, the roster is probably about even. Uh, I would, I would say, upgraded the O line a little bit, downgraded the cornerback spot at least for now. Lost Jay Reed, picked up Kerry Hyder up front. Like it's, yeah, it's 
relatively going to be fun. So I yeah, no, the division is pretty crazy. Get back to the middle of the pack, though. That that was not the, one of the, the two weirdest things in the NFL. What the Patriots defense not well, and with the opt outs, of course they were, and Gilmore was hurt. But watching New England's and Seattle's defenses perform at a below average level, I was kind of wondering what sport I was watching. <laughs> Well, the, yeah, the Seattle's whole 2020, like when looking back at it now, the offense was electrifying and then stunk, and then the defense stunk and then was electrifying. Exactly. Yeah, exactly I, don't, I don't know if we've ever seen both sides of the ball. I mean, you would know better the history of football. Uh, two, two sides of the ball basically just flip-flopping like that on really wide ends. Like Seattle's defense was bottom like five and then became like top five, and Seattle's offense was like top Two, and I don't know if it bottomed out, but it, it definitely regressed to like a below average unit. Like doing that over the course of one sixteen game season with no significant injuries to like the quarterback spot is Insane. pretty crazy. And yet it's so Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Seahawks, it's so maybe variance and you know what we're gonna get. Yeah, no, that was you know, I like twelve wins. Yeah, twelve wins and maybe get a trip to I would take the slide over. Yeah, I'll take that. And that would, we do not encourage gambling on this show quite yet until we get a gambling sponsorship. Then we were coming the hell out of it. Yes, exactly. Yes. And then, you know, we get a little little cut there. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the homie Doug Farrar, uh, NFL editors, uh, USA Today Sports Media Group. Does great stuff. Uh, he is a national guy, uh, despite his arguments against him. I mean, you see all the polls. He had Mike Smith, Mike Martz. Uh, you know, I just casually watch tape of Richard Sherman. No, man, you're doing That's it, national. man. Doug, provide really good stuff, man. I love, I love reading the stuff you do. I feel smarter every time. I read well, your stuff, you know, so I really appreciate the work you do. No, I never name drop as I was telling Roger. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I was counting them all in my head. I was like, man, Doug is dropping a lot of names here. Just like, yeah, no, I just, like talked, I said, I just talked to an NFL coach casually just for 15. You know, I've talked to Pete one-on-one one time. Got to watch film with Sherman. We were talking about, oh, what's the toughest part about slot? I'm yeah. talking to boundaries. Tell you about watching tape with Sherm. <laughs> it took me six months to get me to do it. He's like, hey. People don't want to hear me. People don't want to hear me talk about my blah, 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 blah. So I laid off for a couple months, and then I went in the locker room one day, and he was sitting down in his locker reading something, and I just walked right up and said, Hi, Sherm. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) DB room tomorrow after practice. But it took a long time to get there. So There you go. But you got there. No, that's yeah, man. Doug, no, Doug does great work. Make sure you guys go check out check out his work at Touchdown Wire, man. Does great stuff. I read it all the time. When Again, I feel smarter. Like, when I'm trying to get nerdier, there's a few people that I, like, have to read up on to, like, learn my stuff, and Doug's definitely one of them, man. So we appreciate you. We appreciate you guys uh, for tuning in to this episode of Seahawks Man to Man Podcast. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Doug, where can they follow you before we get you out of here? Uh, NFL underscore Doug Farrar. Uh, I tweet about football and music and politics, so you may not like it. Uh, and then Touchdown Wire for everything else. All right. Thank you so much again. Doug, we got to have you back on next year, man, for your annual appearance, man. Right. Uh, on that note, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We're out. You see, I don't have to drive me to say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some and try the marijuana. I was laughing you good. I the vibe was straight. Shows you a couple of things and they finished changed. From a time to your bag and a color on your lid, yeah, you This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.